I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fab week. Start of August, which is always like the start of spring here in Auckland. The nights are getting a little bit longer and the mornings are getting a little bit lighter, which is always awesome. I mean, I don't doubt that we've still got a bit of rubbish weather on our way, but at the moment the sun is shining and I'm super stoked about that. So today on the podcast, I'm really pleased to bring to you a conversation that I had with my awesome friend, Dr. Karen Zinn, who is a senior lecturer and registered dietitian at AUT University. And Karen and I worked together for a number of years and she's always been um, just, she's like my travel wife. We used to travel to conferences together and, and things like that. And we have a similar approach to nutrition not everything but a similar approach to nutrition so Karen fielded questions from her audience and then we sat down and discussed her approach to a number of different topics and those are things such as uh, collagen intake diet recommendations for autoimmune conditions what to eat when you're craving sweets on a keto approach what differences you may make for keto if someone is going through menopause, low-carb diets for hypertension, and recommendations for people who are trying to bulk up. We also discuss oxalates, foods that affect thyroid function, and protein powders and their appropriate use for someone who is sustaining a weight loss approach. And also we discuss the book What The Face and those of you in the low carb scene will know that Karen is a co-author on the What The Fat book series. So we discuss what you can expect from uh, the new book in the series. Now Karen and I discuss Monday's Matter in our conversation and as we were a few weeks into the first round of that program and in fact spring edition of Monday's Matter, registrations for that open next week so it's sort of timely really and like I was saying with regards to spring being in the air, what better time to jump on board a program that you get that group support, you get support from me and you get a load of fresh ideas and really tasty way to sort of improve your body composition as we head into summer. So definitely keep an eye out for that. In addition to that, this podcast also talks about protein powders and alongside that, my friends at Balance Sports Nutrition are doing a bit of a giveaway for our New Zealand audience. So check out the Facebook page for more details on that when you see me talk about this podcast. And before we get into the interview, if you're wanting to support the podcast, please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform app and give us a rating. That would be awesome. Share it with your mates. We'd really appreciate it. I also now have a recipe-only access plan to my online subscriber site where you get access to over 600 recipes, a weekly Q&A forum with me over on Facebook, and also the, the ability to kind of pick my brain through that online platform for any of your nutrition-related queries. In addition to that, I do, of course, have my meal plans available, the Keto Longevity Plan, 
the Real Food Nutrition Plan and the Athlete Plan, which has all of what I've just mentioned, in addition to a 28-day meal plan per month and shopping lists. And of course, you can book a consultation with me through my website as well. And you'll find that at mickeywillardin.com. So without further delay, please enjoy this conversation that I have with Dr. Karen Sin. Dr. Karen Sin. Dr. Mickey Willardin. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Do you know, hilariously, I actually feel a little bit nervous about doing this in person with you. Well, funny, my heart rate's just gone up now too, so thanks for that. <laughs> you need a beta blocker, don't you? Oh, maybe. so you are the second in-person podcast that I have done and listeners of the show will remember that I spoke to Sean Collins uh, which was published a couple of months ago now and uh, we sat here and had a good old yarn about his running exposés and circumnavigating Auckland being amazing endurance training which is going to be quite a different conversation to the one that you and I are going to have. Wow, I'm sure it is. And I will definitely go back, and it's next on my list to listen to, actually. Mm. So um, I do wonder, did you have as delicious a lunch with him as you have with me? (laughs) No, but we did enjoy a few craft beers afterwards because we had a barbecue. I know. So lucky. It's probably a bit early today. A little bit early. And also, uh, Baz and I are doing Mindful May. Uh, and that means what exactly? Uh, being mindful of beer and hot chips and bread. So when I texted you about our our breakfast that you were yeah. coming over, I I did not want you to bring pastries or sourdough or anything delicious. Which usually I would be more than happy to you know have a taste, have have a bit of in addition to a delicious breakfast. That's great. But have you ever known me to bring a pastry? Well, I just don't know. No, actually, no. But you would have. I. But you would have been a sourdough bread girl. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. So instead, you bought halloumi and delicious roast peppers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it's lovely. Yeah, and how and how is your uh, mindful May? Well, it's so mindful May started off with Barry and Mickey saying, "Well, Mickey telling Barry that we were going to go carnival for a month." <gasps> Only purely because curiosity, which is why we do anything. Mm. Uh, because there's no health-related issue that I need to address, which would require the complete elimination of all plant material. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> clarifying. Yes. Um, and I literally lasted two days, less than two days. So I'm really intrigued to know why you only lasted two, two days. And I think it's a great question, because looking back, I am also wondering why on earth could I not tough that out, even for like four days you know but I obviously so we got back from we'd both done uh, been down to Whakapapa National Park Barry had just won the off-road marathon there which was great and um, I had I limped in on the 24k because I blew my calf which I should not have even entered the 24 knowing that I had calf issues but live and learn live and learn and uh and we thought we'd we, we wanted to go lower carb and just sort of you know help with recovery not like go gung-ho on you know food that's just going to create additional stress on the body and create oxidative damage and mm-hmm. help with the recovery particularly as we're getting older mm-hmm. and I thought well 
I've sort of, I'm denied about just trying an animal-only protein diet. Can I get rid of veggies? Because you know me, Karen. You're a vegetable queen. Because I remember us talking about doing this, um, and I'm, I just wasn't that keen. Yeah. And I was mildly disappointed that you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and Baz's is great. He's like, oh, so what are we doing? Okay, cool. I can do that. It's, you know? it's just dinner, but minus three quarters of your plate. <laughs> I know. Which I think, I wonder if I could handle that. And it, the and it was weird, just a couple of days, and we had like eggs, salmon, steak, mince, like I had the, a lot of chicken, mm-hmm. and then by Tuesday dinner, like legit less than two days into it, I'm like, Baz, I don't, I don't think I can do it. Like I just was really grumpy, like, and it wasn't a, it wasn't an electrolyte issue because very. And I'm always good about taking my Element electrolytes. I love them. They're delicious. And so I'd had like three sachets. I did actually think and think to myself, hmm, this is going to be expensive. <laughs> if I'm mm. tracking down these sachets of electrolytes plus buying all of this animal protein. But I just couldn't do it, Karen. Probably because you missed vegetables too much. Because, I mean, like there's lots of variety within animal foods and, and yeah, animal protein, but... Oh, yeah, I, I think I'd struggle. Yeah, I'd and struggle. in part, do you know what? And this was, this, I was listening to another podcast where a girl said she went carnival for three weeks mm. and she relayed her experience. And in her description of her carnival diet, she had four pieces of fruit a day. Hello, that's not the carnival diet. It's 150 grams of carbs. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, could you not even tough that? So I, so I dismiss, was very dismissive of her experience, yet lasted 36 hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I so, don't know. I, 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 like I said to you earlier, I'd love to try just to get like uber lean for yeah. a little while. Yeah. And to look in the mirror and go, wow, I'm so lean. But um, <laughs> I've missed vegetables. I've missed, yeah, I've missed raw cooked vegetables, all of that stuff. I know. And, and I also do wonder about the microbiome. I know it changes within, you know, 48 hours and... It, all, all we really know is that it changes. We don't know if it changes for the better or for worse. It just yeah. changes. And I, I'm a big fan of if it's not broken, don't, don't fix it. And I always worry that, that if I do something like carnival just to play around and see what happens, and then I come back to normal, yeah. and if it doesn't, if, if like get, getting back to normal doesn't feel quite right, and then suddenly I've got this gut issue because of something I changed that I didn't really need to change. Mm. Oh, do that that's such a good point actually because a lot of people experience that change in how their gut responds to food when they eliminate something be it dairy Mm. be it gluten like the real low-hanging fruit Mm. and they're like i had no idea i had this reaction and we have to remind them actually it might not necessarily be that you had a negative impact of that particular food it could be but Mm. actually it could just be that change in the microbiome yeah what i will say though is that uh dr tommy woods who has been on the show and lucy mailing Mm -hmm. she's very smart in Mm. that area and you'll i'm sure know of this study they just published a i think it was a narrative review looking at the metabolic flexibility of the gut Mm -hmm. and the impact of an animal only diet and yep. how and what implications that might have so i'm hoping to chat to lucy actually about her paper or yeah, about that cool. paper that'd be really cool i yeah. mean the whole microbiome is so interesting we know so little yeah we just know that it changes and yeah. um gosh there's so much out there that we're going to find out but there's just 
I just don't know how much we can say at the moment. Um, and particularly with, dare I say, normal people. Like, yeah. Again, I'll get back to that. If it's not broken, don't, don't try and fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah. It's, I, so if I go back to the whole carnival thing, so for, for us, it certainly wasn't a health reason at all there's mm. more curiosity yeah but i know loads of people actually feel a whole lot better when they do the elimination approach and they eliminate right down to just that animal protein mm. and i know it makes a marked difference and of course there are those anecdotes of people who've been living years with no plant material yeah and you know i you and i are both totally on the same page when it comes to that individuality mm. um and you would absolutely knock it as a population-based approach <laughs> but for individuals like some people take plants out and their health improves yeah other people take animals out and their health improves yeah, so yeah. you know how do you explain that yeah um you know other than just respecting that everyone responds slightly differently to to something mm. um you you can't be in a situation where you knock things yeah agree yeah. so our, our carnivore approach turned into mindful may right okay so getting, getting, <laughs> yeah, back, getting to back to the original may yeah um which ended up being well we've probably been having a lot more beer than we need to lately mm. and i say mm. a lot and i don't mean that we have like we sit down to a six pack every night or anything mm. but when we do enjoy beer i I just really enjoy those higher alcohol ones from the Garage Project. Okay. And I yep. get a personalized email every Tuesday into my inbox. Oh, my God. <gasps> and so I'm continuing to order beer that we are not drinking. Um, you know, I'd love to say I totally know where you're at, but I don't because I don't drink beer. Yeah. However, mm. there are other alcoholic beverages that I like. <laughs> confession from time. time to time yeah <laughs> and then and so there's the beer so it's no beer no fries because we do enjoy yes. getting makiki fries from yes. little creatures yes. um and we do that on average once a week or maybe once a fortnight on average which is actually not excessive at all in in my book no, no, it's, it's not. But I think what happens sometimes is that when you're not mindful of what you're doing, you then also go, oh, I'll just have that piece of cake from, at morning mm, tea. Yeah. Or I'll just oh, grab an additional handful of, I don't know, insert favorite lollies or candy or something mm. here. Now, I don't do that. I'm actually, this is more for Barry than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm perfect. Shh. <laughs> Don't let him hear you. <laughs> I know. He'll probably edit that bit out. So so that's what Mindful May is. It, and also it is around alcohol intake as well. Mm. So we're like, right, let's try to, because of course we will still enjoy red wine. Mm-hmm. Let's try to just increase the number of alcohol-free days a week. Yeah. Because it's actually really easy for that to start sort of uh, your AFD days to diminish. Yeah. Because you're out for a drink here, Absolutely. you're doing something here, and then suddenly you have had five days in a row of having one to two glasses of wine. Yeah, I'm a big fan of alcohol-free days. I really am. Mm. Really am. In part, it makes me feel virtuous. It does. It yeah. totally does. And, you know, um, when I, if, if and when I'm offered like a wine on a weekday when I'm at home, mm. oh, honey, would you like a wine? Yeah, of course I'd like a wine, but I'm not going to have one. Yeah. Because it can turn into a habit before you say boo. Yeah. Um, so I quite like, I know this might sound a bit warped, but I quite like being restrictive so that when I do have a wine on the weekend, it's just 
beautiful. No, I 100% agree. And I, um, I talked to a client about this this week, actually, about food rules. Yeah. And how there is actually freedom in food rules. Because sometimes if you don't place any, um, if you don't place any considerations about, about what you do day to day, then you can, and it's not what you intend to do, you just find that that's what's happening, then you actually can feel a little bit out of control mm. and a little bit lost. And that's where structure can really help. Oh yeah, for sure. And having those rules. So when you do have it, you don't get, then suddenly feel that um, wash of shame or or of guilt or whatever can occur when you have something. And I know that both you and I will have clients who report to us that that's how they feel if they have a piece of cake or they have that additional wine. Mm, absolutely. And there are rules and then there are rules within rules. You know, some people like really, really strong rules and other people like um, rules that are a little bit lax. But, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a spectrum. And, of course, um, you, you feed off your, your client's personality and history and all that and you develop rules accordingly so it's a real it's a real balance a real fine line between creating rules that will just um push people over the top and just you know so they they feel super super restrictive and they can only do it for two weeks and that's that Mm. or a set of nice gentle but strict rules that will keep them on the straight and narrow without them going either way does that make sense or am I just rambling no no totally makes sense and in part you know where you and I I mean we talk about this all the time but I spent you know a good my my personality is so interesting so I spent a good four to five months of tracking everything I ate last year oh my god how tiring (laughs) and at the time it didn't feel tiring at all I felt empowered by it awesome I'm like this is awesome now I know you know, I really need to bump up my protein. I know mm. how to do it. This is the number of calories that I know I need to to hit if I'm going to, um, you know, meet my protein macros and and continue to maintain my weight where it is mm-hmm. and also perform the way I want. Mm. So in in some ways, it felt really liberating. It was almost like a goal, a target to hit, rather than a place to to make sure I restrict to. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. However, yeah. and then. As is so often the case with me, one morning I woke up and went, I cannot be asked doing that anymore, <laughs> and I haven't done it since. It hasn't really changed anything of what I've done, mm. but it was just that idea, it was just that whole um, uh, looking at macros and viewing food in a different way, because despite the fact that I've been a practitioner for over 20 years, mm. I don't work in calories, or I hadn't until this point, mm. worked in calories, worked with with clients counting their macros and and what I found um, was really good learning for me and also how I now approach with some clients not all and Dr. Eric Helms and I spoke of this in our podcast Mm -hmm. is that if you're aware of your macros you can then use that information to allow for more flexibility and freedom on certain days Mm -hmm. and feel really comfortable in that space because you know you've pulled back a little bit during the week so your calorie budget is the same yeah but you almost calorie cycling. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Off, offsetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, and I see it now all the time on my social media because, of course, when you start to adopt a different way of doing things, you then go to Instagram and find other people who are doing similar mm. to learn from them. Mm. And, you know, you and I are always learning from people that we follow and clients that we have and, oh, and things like that. Half the learning comes from the client. Yeah, it, it really does. Yeah. And so... Um, 
I learned a lot following these girls who just do this day in, day out, mm. to the point where I've had to unfollow a lot of people because it's very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but yeah, it's been really eye opening actually. Cool. Yeah. Um, just one more question for you, just yeah. while we while we gossiping. Uh, how is your Monday's Matter program going? Oh, Karen, what a, it is amazing. Like, I have been so enjoying seeing sort of what I put down on paper come to life in the group. Brilliant. It has been so rewarding to see these, and I would say probably 70% women, 30% men. Okay. Um, the women are far more vocal than the men, mm-hmm. but seeing the meals, um, people taking pictures of their meals, people sharing their kind of day experiences, the support that I'm seeing from the group as well. Like we're going in and, and people are like, how are we feeling on our protein sparing modified fast day? And That's great. You're building a little Monday community. Yeah, totally. That's and um, of course you and I just finished having as part of our breakfast some protein sparing modified fast bread. It was great. <laughs> it wasn't bad, was it? It was really good. In <laughs> fact, I want the recipe, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for those people who haven't heard of this bread, legit, it is egg whites, it is protein powder. I only had vanilla. Um, it would be a savory one had I had unflavored, or at least not vanilla flavored. And um, and whilst the promise of puff was there when it was baking in the oven, it <laughs> very quickly deflated. Yeah, I'm not sure I had a puffy slice. No. <laughs> um, it was still delicious. It was really delicious and really... Um, uh, it has been popularized by Maria Emmerich. Right, okay. And um, so listeners of the podcast will know I spoke to Craig Emmerich um, all about his, you know, not only his Lyme disease and how he manages it with diet, but his and Maria's work in that ketogenic space and in that protein sparing modified spa, uh, fast space. So that is in part some of the inspiration for Monday Monday's Matter. Cool. Um, and just trying to find, uh, I guess, solutions for people who are looking for another tool in the toolbox yeah, to help with fat sure. loss. Mm. And that's what the program is. And so people are loving it. They're getting great results. And I and I'm definitely thinking of ways to tweak it. So next round, um, come at it just for the same program, but just make some minor adjustments to suit people. Can I can I add something? Yeah, you should call it Mondays Matter More. Mondays Matter More. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Or not? That's, that's yeah, that's version two, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and first, Karen. So so obviously, I'm going to do a bio. For, for listeners who may not be familiar with you, but you're so well known in the low carb space. However, Perhaps, yeah. You were... Carry on. <laughs> However, you are, of course, more than just low carb. And of recent, like in the last month or so, the What the Fat book mm-hmm. entity has come out with What the Face. Yes, it is. It, and it, while it is still. Um, low carb philosophy yeah because of course in my world low carb philosophy is really just whole food yeah like my philosophy has always been if you if you truly do low carb healthy fat um it'll well no actually let me start the other way around if you truly eat whole food yeah it'll end up being a lower and healthier carb than maybe our guidelines would would guide us and it will be slightly higher in fat content than our guidelines um, would recommend and probably similar amounts of protein so um so it's still it's still 
is centered around that whole food philosophy, mm. but the difference with what the face is, it's really all contextualized to inner and outer health and and uh, beauty. Well, beauty, but I, I guess it is beauty because yeah. if you you know if you if you are beautiful on the on on the inside from a health perspective, then that manifests in your skin mm. and you know how you radiate health on the outside. So it's all about that. Awesome. And obviously, listeners of the show will be able to pick up your book from all major book outlets. Yep. Or on our whatthefatbook.com uh, web yeah website. Awesome. Um, where all our books are. And they are in, you know, your standard bookstores. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what people get out of it. And tell me, Karen, then, what is your favorite recipe from What the Face? Um, I'll tell you what I did my see. Favorite? Yes, what did you see? I saw a jam, a jam, a, a jam bayala recipe. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. That is that is pretty cool. There was one that um, I will have to tell you though. I will never eat it. I'll never make it because I've been uh, tarnished. The, the jambayala has been tarnished for me after doing it multiple times when I did Weight Watchers. Oh, no, really? <laughs> like about 25 years ago. Oh, that was their favorite no. recipe. I'm like, oh, my God. It's that. And Kedigree, I'm never going. Kedigree. <laughs> <laughs> that and Kedigree. I'm never going to uh, go oh, near. But anyway. You know, I'm going to cheat and actually say one of my favorite recipes is actually, um, we've repeated this in, in this book. It's actually come from our fasting book, our What the Fast book. And it's the poke bowl, salmon poke bowl with kimchi. So oh. that's the, that, so in our What the Fast book, we had just the salmon poke bowl. But in this book, we've added kimchi to it because mm. we our recipes really all mimic the nutrition strategies that we use throughout the book. So, mm. so kimchi uh, being a fermented food um, comes into one of our chapters when we talk about gut health. Nice. And I love kimchi. Do you? And I love sauerkraut. Absolutely. I was brought up on sauerkraut, so it's not a it's not a new thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I absolutely love it. So the yeah the salmon poke bowl with all all the little entities in it. Oh, um, delicious. You know the mega threes from the salmon and oh, so, just so love it. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. And now, Karen, before we go on and address some of the questions that we have got today, which mm-hmm. I know you um you sourced from your uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Which is awesome. Just can you just chat to me a little bit about how it's been for you, how it's changed for you over the over time. So it might be almost seven or eight years since we sort of got into this low carb mm. space. And I know that from a dietitian perspective, from a practitioner perspective, that you've had your challenges. Mm. Can you sort of talk me through, if you don't mind, just sort of how that's evolved over time? Yeah, interesting because it, um, it's probably coming up eight, I think, coming mm. up eight years. And yeah. um, in the beginning, it was well, it was a real drama in my head, firstly, before, um, before we shifted. And mm. I remember um, being at work in this sort of dominated conversation and I was like totally anti and, oh, no, I'm going to prove you all wrong and to try to do some reading around it. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't prove you all wrong. <laughs> and, and it kind of spiraled from there. But when, you know, when the book came out, when we sort of shifted our philosophies, um, the, yeah, it, there was a lot of upheaval, particularly in the dietetic uh, community mm. and the dietetic authorities and 
and things and so there was a bit of bit of hard time during the first couple of two, two or three or four years no, probably about three or four, yeah about three years or so mm. um and a lot of pushback mm. and slowly but surely um things things have changed quite substantially so a lot of the i know dietitians often get uh, labeled as conservative and mm. old school and yeah i mean sure so, some some of us are i mean some you know everyone in every profession there's some old schools and there's some newbies and you know things change but there's there's definitely been movement and people are more open to doing low carb there's more signs coming every single day yeah particularly with diabetes so mm. that's i mean for me that's a that's a bit of a no-brainer really and you know the american diabetes association and the canadian diabetes association have really adopted low carb and very low carb aka keto yeah as um as an effective or an efficacious um, therapeutic approach alongside some of the others to um to to manage type 2 diabetes and i think it's only a matter um, of time before it sort of stretches into type 1 because it's similar but different yeah. but it's the same concept about blood sugar control yeah for sure um so there's there's been a lot of um adoption of this by by lots of health professionals over the last few years and you know i almost feel like um the you know when you when you ride the wave i almost feel like i'm on i'm sort of surfing down the other end of the wave i, I feel mm. like it's almost mainstream for for a lot of people now mm. um but then you know every now and again every now and again you're reminded of uh you know when you, when you see things in the in the blogosphere and the twitter sphere and the media and particularly on tv you know those tv programs about mainstream nutrition management and you go oh gosh maybe we haven't quite got there yeah um but i think to cut a long story short there was a lot of opposition at at the start but i don't feel like there's um there's much of that now do you know i'm always surprised at some of the questions that we get not necessarily the questions today in fact not the questions today that we'll be um, chatting about but just sort of I get online or I hear from clients and stuff which I understand what you're saying is you know with regards to is it coming more mainstream are we sort of at the sort of the other end of it that you know this is just accepted as as a viable strategy another way of doing things However, just with the questions that we get, sometimes I also think we just live in a little bit of a bubble. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I, you know, how do we know mm-hmm. this? Like I'm, I talk to people about something which I feel has been kind of in media, in the, the online space for years and years and years, and it should be as simple as one plus one equals two, yeah. but it still isn't. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, every now and again, um, you know, my clients, we've all got a certain type of clientele. My yeah. clients that come to see me kind of know what I do. Yeah. So I don't have to spend a, a whole lot of time trying to convince them about this way. And I had a client uh, this week, actually, and I said, you know, you know, you know I'm involved with, like, I'm an advocate of low-carb whole food, whole food. Do you know much about that? And he, and he said, oh, no, no, I've never, no, I didn't know that. Mm. And, I, and I felt like saying buddy are you living under a rock (laughs) and then I thought no maybe I'm living in a bubble yeah because all the people who come to me know what I do but it doesn't mean the whole world does that it just means my little clientele does so 
you can get caught up in your own little world there mm. for sure. But I think I, I still think um, every now and again you you see it. Um, you see people who used to be anti talking about lower carb and you go oh, okay that's not how you used to talk so yeah. things are changing which is quite pleasing and I think also Mickey you and I have always been um, we've always kind of got the whole low carb thing from a spectrum perspective mm. so I think some people default to you know low carb equals keto equals no carb and that's the that's the way it needs to be for everyone mm. and you and I have always been well you know it's good for good for these people maybe you have a little bit more carb for this group maybe you have a little less carb for that group and um, and I think that's really important to remember it's not just a low carb high fat for all in mm. fact it might not even be high fat at all you know mm. it might be slightly higher but not high yeah for some groups yeah mm. nice that's a really good summary of your approach I think and in both of ours and people mm. who listen to me probably are aware that that's my approach as well I feel like sometimes we get tainted with a bit of a brush totally of oh tot- totes keto totes are carb you know not yeah. at all open to doing something you know different or higher carb or that kind of thing just yeah. because if you people like things to fit in a box yeah it's interesting um I I did this activity with my AUT students um just the other week they were my third year nutrition students and they were cooking an outdoor healthy outdoor meal for the outdoor students in the outdoor classroom which is this literal like you know classroom built with bamboo and stuff outside uh, which is just brilliant so they did their their healthy meal which was great and then they brought out this no the outdoor students made some dessert they had this damper which is literally flour and yes. water um and they they stuck it on onto this bamboo uh around this this piece of bamboo and put it on the open fire and of course you know they offered offered it to me do you want some stuck a Kit Kat in the middle do you want some and I'm like oh yeah I'll have some and my students looked at me as if oh my god I thought you were you know only keto do you actually eat carbs and you know are you actually (laughs) going to eat this flour I'm like yeah (laughs) you know there's this impression that we're so hardcore for what we eat and what we tell everyone to eat Mm. but the reality is is probably a little different not saying that we high carb junkies but you know moderate people that do stuff as the situation calls for it. Totally. Although, Karen, if you've just told me you've had damper and Kit Kat, I think you probably need to do Just Think About It June. Just Think About It June. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. Sign me up. Because yeah. it's a little bit too late for Mindful May now. You would have liked yeah. this half of it. Admittedly, I might do uh, Kit Kat and damper once a year, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you asked some of your Facebook peeps yes um just some general questions because mm. you knew that you and I could have probably quite a good convo around around some of these and you've selected you know a few here which we've got in front of us mm. yeah and they're quite varied yeah which is great so um shall we kick off with the first one yeah awesome Karen where do you buy bulk collagen from okay so I didn't know this off the top of my head so I had a little bit of a search and to be honest um, I I don't know where you can buy bulk 
collagen amounts for very cheap like you know factory yes. factory price kind of you know bulk collagen uh, but you you can buy collagen in bulk from bulk bin places mm. but the price is going to be this probably the same price point as you would get uh, buying collagen from a container or mm-hmm. probably a bit better because you don't actually have the container costs as well yeah then that's the beauty of bulk bins um but with collagen i would have to say that it is I would say it's pricey wherever you get it from. Yeah. In in my little sphere of knowledge, there's, mm. there's yeah, I, I don't know where you'd get it cheaply, and that hopefully that answers the question. But certainly, um, if you find it, can you let me know, please? <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine that collagen features in your what the Facebook. It does actually. We um, I might just elaborate on that a little bit. One of our key sections in our book is the seven food foundations Mm. um, and one of them is protein and we talk about the the three protein sisters that are involved in uh, skin health and hair and nails and all the sort of building blocks so you've got um, keratin collagen and elastin and collagen is your it is your kind of um, your cement or your kind of scaffolding um, and it's it it sort of degrades as we age sadly Mm. um and there's a lot of hype about oh let me just um chuck back a whole lot of collagen and my skin will look amazing so um i went into quite a bit of uh, depth researching that um and uh pleasingly i did find that there is a little bit of evidence to support um taking collagen and um and, and skin health and also yeah. wound healing mm. um and but but the mechanism is not really known it's is it the collagen itself or is it just the fact that you are having slightly more protein overall yeah yeah in your diet because of course when you eat collagen the amino acids um you know the, the collagen kind of uh, disassembles into your amino acids and then reassembles into your, your your protein and your skin and all that and we don't really know if it go if it's directed to the site that it needs to be at mm. but um, there is some evidence to suggest that it is so um, so I think if, if anyone is looking at doing the best for themselves obviously protein and we might talk about protein a little bit later protein really needs to be looked at as a whole Mm. the amount of protein as a whole Um, but if you want to go the extra mile and throw some actual collagen you know collagen powder into your yogurt or into wherever you put it um, it's not going to do any harm and Mm. it might have a beneficial um, effect on your skin Mm. so yeah I, i i'm a i'm a fan as long as it doesn't put you out of pocket and you can't buy you know, you think vegetables are too expensive because you're spending all your money on collagen. Yeah. Um, but if you do prioritize your money towards collagen, I think it would be worthwhile. Yeah, that's great. And I just um, spoke to Stu Phillips this week, actually, and we addressed collagen because he blew up the internet with his post about the fact that what we know about collagen or what people say about collagen is a load of bollocks. He, of okay. course, clarified that, though, and he's very much, yeah. you and him are very much on the same page as to what the evidence shows. And, in fact, the fact that you had said, you know, right now there isn't any sort of head-to-head studies looking at collagen versus just protein Mm. except of course he did say that on twitter he also posted that there is this one research lab out of somewhere who have just published four papers showing that collagen was as effective as whey or more effective for certain things but he doesn't necessarily believe it and in fact because of course collagen is low in that um, leucine that you and i were 
yes. can't go about. Yeah, so is it just that they need more leucine and do you get an independent benefit from collagen when you look at other things? It depends on what they were looking at in the That's study. That's exactly yeah. right. And because I, like you, when I, there was something on Figo a few months ago that basically dismissed collagen out of hand. And I'm like, that is not how I understand it. So I did a bit of a dive in the literature mm. as well and saw that there was a lot of good evidence to suggest its usefulness in terms of wound healing and skin health. And, and, and also anemia. soft tissue injury. I think mm. there's a study that showed that there was an improvement in soft tissue injury in athletes. And again, it wasn't a randomized controlled trial, I don't think. No. Um, but, you know, there's a, again, it's one of those supplements that if there's a little bit of evidence... Um, then why not give it a go? And it's that individual variation that you and I talked about mm. because earlier, and, and Stu and I talked about that as well, is that you know lots of people saw his post and got very upset because for them, collagen has really helped improve pain-associated symptoms with osteoarthritis and the knee and, and things like that. And Julianne Taylor, a good friend of both of ours, mm. said that she, in fact, totally notices when she doesn't take collagen on that on that front so I feel like there's just with everything in nutrition absolutely yeah individual totally, variation totally and of course you know you don't have to buy a collagen supplement if you are literally having um, very gelatinized bone broth mm. every single day mm. but to get those new like the, the proline the hydroxyproline the glycine the glutamine to get all those things um, out of the bone broth it's got to be it's got to be really g- like gel like yeah you know full of gelatin and I'm not sure a lot of the bone broths are yeah um and yeah I just think it's a again it's a personal thing I think it's a, a it's an it's an easy supplement that goes into a lot of meals yeah that if you you know throw in an extra 10 or 20 grams of protein it's all good. It is good. And I guess the, the last thing to just clarify is that it would not be a replacement for other protein powders. Of course not. No, no absolutely no. not. And, and I think that's where some people get a little bit confused is that your collagen powder is in addition to your whey protein isolate or your plant protein, for example. Exactly. And that's what I have for my breakfast most mornings, actually. Oh. Um, I have a little bit of berries and mm-hmm. then I have my um, my natural greek yogurt Mm -hmm. which i'm playing around with as well different types of yogurts and then i throw my two heaped teaspoons of collagen Mm -hmm. and my two very heaped uh, tablespoons of just standard whey or sometimes pea i kind of go between the two Mm -hmm. um and then a few kind of flaky things on top and Mm. honestly like it's a protein hit i absolutely love it and i'm a big fan of vanilla yes (laughs) um so it's vanilla protein powder and vanilla um uh, collagen. vanilla collagen marine based collagen and that seriously could last me a, a large part of the day it's wow. very very satiating yeah yeah that sounds amazing Love and it. you have the other thing that you tried in addition to the PSMF bread was my uh, carrot pumpkin protein loaf yes yes love it I, I, I really like these protein based loaves because I think um I think for people who are just looking, look, snacking, we, we both think snacking is not ideal if you are trying to curb your weight and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you just feel like something. Mm. Um, and I think if it can be a protein-based snack, uh, that is, that's where I would steer my snacking. And yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, you can have boiled egg or you have a piece of meat. But if, of course, if you wanted to have something loaf-like that's mm. not a, 
um, a high sugar biscuit or something. I think these loaves really do the trick. Totally. And um, this one that I'm, I made today was a substitute for the Zote bar. And you will find both recipes on my website, listeners, for you to, if you're interested. The, what people on the Monday's Matter program love about the Zote bar is its volume. They cannot get through an entire slice. And so they end up shaving off a bit and saving it for afternoon tea. And, and again, like you, whilst... I'm not as much of a fan of snacking for most people. At the end of the day, if it's helping them adhere to their approach by having something on hand to have, rather than like a Snickers bar, (laughs) I'm all for it, all for it. Awesome, Karen, thank you. So now the second question is, it's quite a big question actually, but you know, what are the recommendations for diet for autoimmune conditions? Yeah, that is a big question. Well, mm. no, it's a little question, but it's a big answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and oh, how can I kind of contextualize? Um, I, I guess there's the, there's the, I don't want to say gold standard, but the most extreme, I guess, of all the diets that I've come across for autoimmune conditions is the autoimmune protocol. And um, I find that really, really strict. Mm. And um, for people who don't know what um, what is being restricted there, so you've got grains, you restrict grains, you restrict dairy, you restrict eggs, nuts and seed, uh, nightshades, which is your um, aubergine and peppers. Gosh, I'd be hopeless because I'm loving peppers at the moment. Yeah. Uh, potatoes, tomatoes, and some like spices like paprika and cane pepper and things. Um, and there's more mm. alcohol, coffee, chocolate, uh, seed oils, refined carbs, legumes. Mm. So, if, so people out there are probably wondering, well, actually, what can I eat? Mm. Uh, meat, vegetables, some mm. fruits. So, and and good quality oils. So it is very extreme. And I guess the idea is to remove um, any aggravating food that's going to cause an immune response or immune um, an immune yeah, an immune response um, at the level of the gut. And I, you know, I, there is some evidence around AIP and things like rheumatoid arthritis and, and, and certain autoimmune conditions. It's not that well researched. Mm. Um, from a client perspective, I always start with eliminating some of the, the, the main aggravating factors and see if there's some improvement. Um, and then you build on that over time Mm. Uh, I just think going straight to AIP is pretty tough it is tough and it also depends on the level of um, strife the person is in what Mm. they're struggling with and Mm. what what that looks like in terms of symptoms Mm. um, and what they can live with and what they can't live with yeah and I'd agree and in fact the most extreme elimination approach would be carnivore yeah yeah you're right actually it's yeah 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 for sure but i feel like that's actually would be easier exactly it would be easier because it's just meat and salt yep exactly yeah and that is it except Mm. i i know of a few people and have guided a few people Mm. with that but but that is it like we and actually i've sort of changed my mind about aip over the last few years on the basis of exactly what you described, like it is, can be really challenging to implement, really easy to get wrong, and might not be the best roadmap for sort of coming out of, mm. you know, getting back to a place where, where 
you can enjoy a better or a bigger variety of foods and and in part this has been directed by Dr Michael Ruscio mm-hmm. he has a fabulous book Healthy Gut Healthy You and it's really um uh client friendly as well so anyone who is interested in gut health and approaching an autoimmune protocol I would highly recommend his his book it's like a little workbook but he is very much more of that sort of moderate let's go for the low-hanging fruit yeah you might start with a three-day bone broth fast just to kind of reduce down that inflammation initially but then, you know, do you really need to cut out those nuts and seeds? Do mm. you really need to look at those spices or, you know, get rid of every single phytochemical in your diet? Yeah, because you've got to look at what you're left with. Yeah. And you've also got to look at the consequences of taking out some of these key foods yeah. from a nutrient, but also, as you say, phytochemical yeah. perspective. So, I mean, it, autoimmune is all about elimination, mm. but it's it's a spectrum mm. of elimination and I always start as you say with the low hanging fruit probably the the grains yeah um a lot of people struggle with nightshades mm-hmm. so maybe grains nightshades dairy yes yeah, based on conversations and symptoms and things um I try and I always try and um keep eggs in there because mm. I just think eggs are so they're so good and yeah. you know people really struggle taking eggs out um, and yeah, we, we go we go from there. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a fixed answer. And um, I know I went straight to AIP, but I would probably use AIP in like two percent of my clients with autoimmune, just because it's let's try a whole lot of other stuff before we have to go there. Yeah, totally. Because of course the the amount of planning and preparation and consideration in an AIP would increase stress levels which, which would make matters worse totally it would yeah. totally offset potential or could potentially offset some of those you know uh potential improve like the one percent improvements and you know if anyone is you know really interested in AIP or in autoimmune approach for things like rheumatoid or osteoarthritis I highly recommend your MPhil student yes Julianne Taylor Julianne, yeah she's she's doing her she's doing her study on um on exactly that yeah and um she's got a lot yeah, of great, great information yeah. as well on her blog on her blog um some real kind of uh, step-by-step kind of blog mm-hmm. posts and things absolutely yeah yeah I'm looking forward to um to seeing some of those outcomes yeah great um okay karen what to eat when you have a sweet craving on keto and can i actually just start off by saying <laughs> go for it it's actually fine if you ha- if you do have sweet craving sweet cravings on keto there are a few reasons for it but it's actually okay yeah and i think people people are under the impression that if you go on keto it is the savior to everything in your life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> your, your weight, it will solve your weight issues. It will solve your blood pressure, your blood pressure, your blood sugar issues. It will, so, it will solve your cravings. Yeah, and regulate and your appetite. Absolutely. And I think for some people, it absolutely does that. Mm. But for others, not so much. And I've had people thinking that something's wrong or they haven't done keto problems because, sorry, they haven't done keto proper, properly because they still get cravings. Yeah. You know, we don't. No one really understands the full physiological mechanism behind cravings. Yeah. Um, and of course, you and I know it's probably tied into um, you know the the emotional health of the individual as well. So, getting back to the question, what to eat when you have a sweet craving? Well, 
it's it's in, it's interesting because it's like well do you do you suggest something like um not an artificial a naturally sweetened uh treat like mm-hmm. a keto treat that will give you that kind of something with stevia or natvia and so, that will give you that kind of sweet edge mm-hmm. um or do you just kind of hang in there and i think that depends on what level of addiction you have to certain foods particularly mm. sweet foods and we do have a phd student at the moment um eloise neely and she's doing her phd on on food addiction particularly well not particularly but with with a focus on um sugar and carb addiction mm. and we are going to be looking at the sort of spectrum of people um that have these addictions and what that actually means is it just uh is is it if you have something sweet, do you go down that rabbit warren of just eating everything in sight and it unravels you for the next few days or weeks and uh, you, you can't really function? Or is it, um, is it the thing that you need for that moment and you can moderate it and then you kind of back to normal? Mm. So I know for me, I'm a moderator type of individual and if, mm. I, have, if I have a sweet craving and I have something sweet... Um, I might eat a little bit too much chocolate, but it's not going to unravel me. Mm. Uh, but there are other people that might have something sweet and that will be the end of them. Totally. It's like that difference between kind of buffer and trigger foods. Yeah. Foods yeah. that either buffer your appetite and sort of satisfy you to, to the next meal, or they trigger this absolute cascade of just want to eat everything inside absolutely mm. um i like one of my go one of my go-to suggestions is the dark chocolate mm. uh, maybe on some berries and yogurt thing because it is sweet mm. and of course by the time you are well versed in keto your palate would have changed anyway mm. so the dark chocolate still gives you that element of satisfaction yeah. and hopefully that does the trick um for for many nice another uh, couple of options i think coconut butter is can be quite good um so and for those of you who are not sure of the difference between coconut butter versus coconut oil it is the like the flesh of the coconut you take desiccated coconut you toast it and then you blend it and then it ends up being this delicious creamy very easy to overdo though because it's very highly calorific which might not suit your keto goals and i would say as well is that whilst we shouldn't expect all cravings to disappear. If people do have cravings on keto, I would, and I think you and I would be on the same page, have a look at that macronutrient makeup. Like if you really are running low on protein, then Mm -hmm. that is likely to increase your cravings because I find this, I don't know about you, Karen, but particularly in women, like fat is really satisfying for men. But with women, I feel like just that combination of protein and fat just tends to work better in terms of over, overall kind of appetite regulation. Totally, 100%. And you'll see it in um, a, a smoothie. Like take a, a smoothie. If you have coconut cream, berries, mm. water, mm. Um, it's it's not going to cut it. Without the protein powder yeah. um, equivalent in there, it's not going to cut it. Mm. Whereas I think if you go high, pro- if you have protein powder, and so water or unsweetened almond milk with the berries, so you're missing the fat, you will still get that feeling of fullness, that yeah. satiety. So, so, so fat, um, and the literature shows that protein is the most satiating nutrient, really. Mm, mm. Um, uh, I think the, the, the good thing is maybe not so much protein powder, but say animal foods like meat, fish, chicken, yeah. they are going to naturally have fats in them anyway. Yeah. So you're going to get that sort of dual effect. Yeah, totally. 
And then just from a supplement perspective, um, high dose chromium mm-hmm. is found to be helpful for some people. And you can, you, I think clinicians in New Zealand and Australia actually have something called high dose chromium yeah. to have after meal. Magnesium can be helpful for some. Yeah. And something else, Sarah Wilson likes doing this. She, she used to say, have a teaspoon of coconut oil with a little bit of cinnamon on it and just eat it. That's so interesting. It is. I can imagine that would probably dampen down appetite for anything. Yeah. Because it's, a, like a, like it's got texture. It's got yeah. mouthfeel. Yeah. It's not sweet, but it's got that bit of cinnamon, which has a hint of sweet. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. The other thing is if you're getting a, I would say if you're getting a lot of cravings on keto, you really need to address why you are doing keto. Oh, yeah. Um, and if, you're, if you truly need to do keto for, you know, neurological outcomes mm. or, um, yeah, I mean, neurological outcomes would be the logical one. Yeah. Um, then... Yeah, I mean, if if you're on keto just, and I don't want to, I'm not saying just to trivialize, but only for weight control or blood sugar regulation, um, maybe keto is not working for you. Because, of course, you've got to look at everything else that's mm. going. You've got to look at the, the stress response, and you, that could be linked in with cravings. So it's it's more than just, you know, have some have some magnesium. It's yeah. Like, let, actually, let's look at the, what, the bigger picture here. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's great. Awesome, Karen. Okay. Keto and menopause. That's a big question, isn't it? Big topic. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. So are there any difference in how you approach keto for menopause from a macro perspective in terms of does your macronutrient makeup change if you're doing keto for menopause versus keto for other reasons? Yeah, and I think this leads into the to, to the comments that you had earlier. I've... I'm really hot on protein for any female mm. um, that's um, 40-ish and over, so mm. pre-menopause, menopause, um, and onwards. And that's because you want to actually set up um, the next stage of your life, so you're going to have optimal muscle mass. Yeah. Um, and we know that when you have declining hormones, that has um, a, that has a flow-on effect on muscle retention and and muscle building, um, or the ability to to build muscle and yeah it's just I just find that um, you can get a lot better outcomes with a higher um, a higher protein uh, macronutrient profile rather than moderate protein high fat so you've got these you know you've got these three macronutrients to, to play around with and then of course when it comes to calories you've got alcohol in there as as well yeah, which is not yeah. a macronutrient but it's got a calorific value and I think that I see too many people who are doing very low carb, very high fat, too low protein. Yeah. And I think definitely by upping the protein, dropping the fat, not down to low fat guidelines, but um, just getting it down from, you know, 70% down to maybe 50-ish percent. Yeah, yeah. And possibly even lifting the carbs a little bit. Mm. Um, I find that to be the optimal combination for a lot of people, for a lot of females. Mm. Nice. And with some muscle building, of course. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I heard a stat the other day, actually, on a podcast I was listening to, that between uh, 40 and 50, without intervention, women can lose 
two and a half kilos of muscle and gain two and a half kilos of fat. That is so scary. It is, isn't it? That is so, so scary. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it is. It's that focus on protein. It's that focus on resistance training, but also stress management. Absolutely. And that just on that keto and menopause. So I'm a, obviously a big fan of, of um, whole food, low carb. Um, and of course, low carb and keto for menopause because that's when insulin resistant might insulin resistance might hit you if it hasn't hit you before Mm. but i i think for some um females getting into menopause um and you know perimenopause area um keto might actually be too low carb for them and you know you're getting as estrogen decreases you might get a lift in cortisol and then you've got this layer of of fat and women are going oh my goodness i need to get rid of this so mm. they join f45 and they're banging it out on very high intensity exercise four or five days a week and they're mm. doing hardcore keto and they can't shift an ounce mm. um, and actually i find that buttoning off the the high intensity um, and doing more resistance training again not high intensity resistance training but more sort of gentle resistance training building muscle keeping the cardiovascular fitness but not going hard all the time mm. and lifting the protein and, and bringing them out of keto and doing more low carb mm. has been helpful yeah totally and you know also um you and i were talking about this before we came on to podcast just how important it is to look after the brain as we age and particularly mm-hmm. women and the the notion that women should never focus on a you know should never do intermittent fasting or you know or always need to be well fueled all of the time in terms of like eating across the day like these these are recommendations for women in menopause which might not necessarily be advantageous just due to the fact that we are more at risk of dementia just with the mm-hmm. changing hormone levels in the brain. Mm-hmm. Women have a higher prevalence rate of Alzheimer's. And actually, we are unable to utilize glucose in the brain to the same extent as we age. So, and Lara and I had, a, Lara Bryden and I had a good discussion about this, and we can find, you know, really good information in her new book, The Hormone Repair Manual. Which oh. I have just started, by the way. Fantastic. Yeah. It's such a good book. Um, and she talks about MCT, having MCT oil and coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe fasting until, say, 10, 30, 11. But then again, like you've just said, put that focus is on having protein foods that also deliver good fat as well, mm-hmm. which is the animal protein-based foods. Yeah, and interesting, just on that thing for fasting, because I think, you know, when you... When you, you know, suddenly you come out, you go fasting, intermittent fasting is brilliant. This is what it's all about. And then you get more into, well, for certain people, it might not be as good or it might fall down in certain areas, which then translates into a no woman should be fasting. Mm. Um, and, and we can quite easily go the other end. But that's actually not true. Women can fast, you know, perfectly well, but it's just how much they fast and yep. what else they do in their diet and their life to, yeah. to kind of pair that. And I think that's that's one way, once the stress response is managed, whatever that means and, and looks like, um, you can definitely incorporate some intermittent fasting along with these higher protein strategies so that you are sort of cycling in and out of ketosis over the week. So nice. you're not living in keto and stressing out whatever system, but you're getting, you're getting high levels of circulating ketones at sometimes lower level of at other times and it's sort of becoming well it might become the answer to a lot of questions 
Yeah, nice. So it's it's not going that hardcore um, strategy. It's taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that to get the right combination. That's great. And because that just really speaks to that concept of metabolic flexibility. And whilst we mentioned it in relation to the gut earlier on, just in terms of all physiological kind of systems and metabolism, the more flexible we can be with using energy. Absolutely bang on. And, and like in the sports nutrition situation, when you go high carb, low fat, and suddenly you go keto, mm. um, you're actually going from a place where you are metabolically inflexible to another place where you are metabolically inflexible. So yeah. you go from using carbs mainly, only mainly, to a place where you're using fat only mainly. Yeah. Um, and that metabolic flexibility comes over time and with maybe some carb cycling. So it's that, and I'm not trying to go, oh, let's go middle ground here, but it's how you strategically get there to make your, your body metabolically flexible for what you're trying to achieve. It's periodization, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you do with training. Exactly. Lovely. Okay, Karen, what do you know about low-carb diets and the effects that they have for hypertension or high blood pressure? Well, I know that they can be very beneficial, actually. Um, and that's really to do with insulin. Mm. Um, so when you drop the carbs, you, you drop the insulin. And insulin has a renal sodium retention uh, mechanism. So when you, um, when you decrease that, that circulating insulin, um, it sort of lets go um, to some of that sodium. And uh, in fact, there was a study that um, David Unwin just tweeted a couple of days ago. Um, David Unwin, the UK, um, UK GP, a low-carb GP, and um, they looked at, this was a survey, it wasn't an RCT or anything, but it was a survey of around 2,000, just over 2,000 people. They took, um, they divided them into salt-sensitive and non-salt-sensitive people, and and they looked at the association between, um, yeah, they looked at fasting blood sugar um, levels. And um, what, they, what they really found was that um, it was a dose-dependent effect. Mm. And the people who were not salt-sensitive mm-hmm. um, tended to have a lower uh, fasting blood sugar. Interesting. And again, they, they didn't really talk about the mechanisms um, too much. But I, I sus- and of course, it's association. And we know association-based studies sometimes get us into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a nice plausible mechanism that with a lower fasting blood sugar, you've got a lower insulin and maybe you don't have any hyperinsulinemia or insulin resistance going on and the the outcome there is a lower level of blood pressure yeah nice so quite a nice little study Mm. Um, and we know that in practice it it works yeah Um, it was interesting I had a client several years ago and he came to me to um, to drop his to drop a little bit of weight and potentially to drop blood pressure. But he said his doctor uh, mentioned that he would always be on medication. So I said, well, here's an option for you. Talked about low carb and said, listen, just be be very careful and talk to your doctor. If you get a little bit lightheaded, you might need to, and you will likely need to adjust your medication in the downward direction. But talk to your doctor, work with your doctor. And he goes, and he said, yeah, no, I appreciate that, but you know, it'll never happen. The doctor said, I'll never get on blood pressure medication. Fast forward a few weeks, he'd only lost about three Ks mm. and he ended up um, passing out in, in the kitchen. Oh, jeez. I know. And um, went to the doctor and the doctor was going, oh, 
oh, your blood pressure is really low. So, you know, it's 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 logical to us because we kind of work with it all the time. Mm. But I, I do think because it can have a very profound effect on lowering blood pressure, uh, people need to work with their health professionals if they're on medication and be open to the fact that their blood pressure might drop. Yeah, interesting. And I see that as well in that it isn't necessarily just about weight because usually with weight loss, regardless of how you lose weight, your blood pressure will drop, which is one Absolutely. of the biggest benefits. But low carb does have a really profound effect on blood pressure and certainly is one of the things which, um, which you know, both of us would suggest trying if that's you know your main outcome and it should be hypertension is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease absolutely yeah, yeah it's massive and it's it's a silent symptom it is totally you wouldn't know it um but what what i get confused about as well as is is that whole talking about salt sensitive mm. individual salt sensitive high blood blood pressure well how would you know if you're salt if you're salt sensitive um if you if you go on a low carb diet and your blood pressure drops, well then you're not salt sensitive. So yeah, it's interesting. As I understand it, there are you know it's it's really playing around with your how how does your body respond to sodium? Mm-hmm. And I and one of the recommendations to find out is if you're truly salt sensitive, it does mean that if you do up the salt in your diet, mm-hmm. you'll have an appreciable effect on your blood pressure. Absolutely. But it's you know it. It's fewer people than what we think, I th- and I think that's the thing yeah. because the it's just been normal practice to to put people on blood pressure meds and to say go low salt. Mm. But um, I think this was definitely before the whole low carb thing um, came on the the radar. And if you look at the studies, um, blood pressure is definitely one of those outcomes that can benefit from low carb. Yeah, nice. That's awesome, mm. Karen. And um, so, Karen, what is your Recommendation. This is completely changing gear now <laughs> for a twenty-year-old male who's trying to bulk up. What are your dietary recommendations for, for someone like that? Eat more. <laughs> Pretty simple, eh? Uh, well, actually, um, I I'd like to think it is simple, but it it isn't simple because I have had clients that just struggle to put on weight just because they don't and you know other other people who are trying to lose weight they are oh, so lucky if you know trying to put on weight but it's just as hard for those people to put on weight as it is for other people to lose weight well there is that genetic component too right absolutely yeah yeah, yeah totally and i think again the same as the weight loss the weight loss um outcome if you lose we'll start with weight loss if you lose five kilos uh, then you are then you need five kilos less calories to maintain that and you can't suddenly then eat more Mm. and expect to weigh the same it's the same with weight gain so if you suddenly up your dietary intake by a thousand calories a day and you put on you get to put on five k's you then need to carry on with that level of calories and if you if your appetite's not great and you drop down back down to that you know two thousand calories or whatever Mm. um your that weight will drop Mm. so i think what, again, I would for a twenty-year-old boy, I would seriously look at protein mm-hmm. as as that would be the first nutrient I'd look at, mm-hmm. and let's make sure you're getting um, adequate protein um, for for what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then it's really a calorie game. Mm. So um, carbs, fat, how you know, I, even for some someone who's trying to bulk up, I don't 
think that it's valuable going you know 80 percent carbs no. um i would go good quality carbs as much as you know you, you need and then the rest fat mm. so it's kind of the same philosophy mm. but with a with a with a definite calorie focus for sure and i and for people i've worked with who are hard gainers i feel like one of the first things you have to do is manage expectations yeah you know like let's see you know can you actually gain a kilo over the next month like Mm -hmm. i feel like for Mm -hmm. a lot of people that should be an achievable outcome because of course if the the gain that we want is muscle i mean you will always gain fat as well Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you want to minimize it really depends like if you are just hard out want to bulk then you're going to get you're going to have to be happy with the fact that it's muscle and fat yeah absolutely like that is like there is no way around that and yes there is a way to minimize that fat gain but let's just say it was for bulking for this purposes it's just bulk Mm -hmm. i feel like timing is is the other aspect as well so just being and timing from a from a making sure you're gaining those calories so get those liquid calories in in Mm. and around training absolutely and you know what if you like if I had a client and they were eating well, okay, mm. so they were eating three meals a day with a couple of snacks here and there, and they were eating good quality food, it would be so easy because you just bang in two protein shakes, liquid calories, yeah, as you say, in and around training, and yeah. another time where probably when they are like with breakfast when they are eating already and they're not, um, you know, their appetite allows for it, you do that consistently and there we go but the, yeah. but if you start with someone 20 year old male someone who's like a junk food addict mm. and then you tidy up their diet it becomes a lot trickier because yeah. there's risk that they might lose weight in tidying up their diet yes. but then it's like you know throw some smoothies in there as well so it's, yeah. it's a lot easier when someone starts from a, a, a good quality standpoint totally and of course the, re- the easy calories to get as you mentioned in terms of fat would be adding olive oil to salads and vegetables. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Nuts and, and avocado. Seeds. Isn't avocado just the best thing to add good calories? Totally. And coconut cream to those smoothies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, adding it to yogurt as well if you're having yogurt with your breakfast, mm, things mm. like that. I find often all the things that um, you know I, I suggest to my middle-aged woman to take care of to make sure that they don't gain weight, like handful of, hands, handfuls of nuts and seeds. Yeah. Like seriously, calorific. That's what the twenty-year-old boy should be eating. Totally, <laughs> I totally agree. Um, now we've just got a note here about oxalates, Karen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so you know, oxalates. It's an interesting one because oxalates. People say don't really worry too much about oxalates because of risk of kidney stones. Mm. Uh, well, how would you know if you've got a high risk of kidney stone? Um, mm. Well, unless you had kidney. Um, disease in the family or you've had a kidney stone you kind of wouldn't know that i feel like people are just worrying about things they don't need to be worrying about to be totally agree it's if we come right back to what you said at the outset if it's not broke don't fix it yeah absolutely yeah because if you look at the foods that have oxalates like we're talking about leafy greens Mm. and um you know those kind of good quality foods that we get a lot of our nutrients um, our micronutrients from mm. so if you are um you know trying to you know decrease your foods that have oxalates um what you know what are you what are you not eating as well and i think it's it's um it's fair to say that there are a group of people who um 
who don't do well on plants, like you know, circling back to our carnival story, mm. a, a very small group of people who um, find that that these um, compounds and foods like phytates and oxalates can be pretty harmful to their health, mm. then absolutely take them out. But don't go looking for a problem where there isn't one. Yeah, and I've had, you know, I've had a number of people who kind of pop up on social media and they're like, I've now just removed oxalates from my diet. And I'm like, why? Yeah, did you notice it, that you were experiencing negative kind of symptoms? And they're like, well, well, no, I've just heard it. it's just not a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. However, if you do have risk of kidney stones or for you've got good reason to decrease oxalates, I do know that kale and bok choy mm. are two leafy greens that are low in oxalates. So we are low. Yeah, I know, surprisingly. Yes. Um, and so also low in oxalates, cashew nuts, walnuts, pumpkin and sunflower seeds. Pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds. Oh. So it's not all bad. No. But, um, you know, spinach, like we just um, had on our delicious lunch earlier spinach leaves are very high in oxalates so um i'd be i'd be a bit gutted if i had to take out my spinach leaves <laughs> no so would i um awesome so really bottom line then karen is that you know we know that too much oxalate may lead to kidney stones in people who are susceptible but for the majority of people who enjoy these the types of foods which might contain oxalates mm-hmm. If you're not experiencing any symptoms from the oxalates, they probably don't need to worry. Exactly. Okay. Now that's awesome advice. That's great. And I think if you do have risk of kidney stones, it's really important to make sure that you stay well hydrated. I think mm. hydration is one of those things that we can sort of forget about. Yeah. Which you know might make us hungry and might you know it might mask dehydration, might mask other things. Yeah, so absolutely. Focusing on not over drinking, but just being being mindful that you are well hydrated nice i love it now what about if we change tacks again and of course this is just a sort of almost like a nutrition smorgasbord with the types of questions that (laughs) we got um foods that affect thyroid what are thyroid friendly foods and what aren't and how worried do we need to be about these well it's it's kind of an interesting question because again if um, if there's nothing wrong, you don't really go looking for it. Mm. Um, but of course, what we know is that um, iodine is is a, a mineral which is important for uh, the thyroid, important for making thyroid hormones. So, in a, in a kind of normal, healthy individual, um, we should we should be mindful that we get enough iodine in our foods. So iodine-rich foods are typically seafoods. Um, seaweed is a great source of iodine, so nori sheets. Yes, Make love sure it. you don't um, get them with seed oils in them. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, fish, dairy products, so, you know, milk and yogurt and things, eggs, nuts, those are really good sources of iodine. And, of course, iodized salt. Mm. So making sure that you have a diet that's that's replete in, in iodine. Um and then, you know, I, I, I don't believe that there are any foods that really harm or help the thyroid when it's not sitting in a problematic place, if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think if you, you know, if you, if you have something like um, Hashimoto's or something, so autoimmune thyroid issues, then you'd, then you'd really go through not a thyroid food-related strategy, more of an autoimmune mm. food-related strategy to mm. help, and, and it definitely does. Um, so, 
Yeah, so I think that that is how I would re- respond to that question. Some people talk about brassicas to avoid um, for for goiter. So mm. so brassica vegetables are um, you get these compounds called goitrogens, and um, goitrogens are compounds that that really prevent the uptake of iodine into um, into the thyroid for the synthesis of, of thyroid hormones. Mm. And brassicas like um, what are the brassicas? Broccoli and cabbage and Brussels sprouts that can be problematic but to be honest um like goiter is a is a thing of old um Mm. unless you've got a specific um diagnosed reason to to avoid uh brassicas i i again it's one of those things i wouldn't because again you're doing um you're doing yourself a disservice by not getting all those amazing nutrients that you'd be getting from your your brassicas so if you've got a normal healthy thyroid um then I, I wouldn't be avoiding those foods. Yeah, and as I understand it, like the the amount for most people, the goitrogen content of those brassica vegetables doesn't change thyroid function with mm-hmm. normal healthy thyroid. And I feel like that's something that was we used to think that that was possibly a problem, mm-hmm. but now we're sort of more aware. There's more kind of uh, research to suggest that for most people, it's not an issue. Um, and I guess I'll just add to that in that. You know, if you are having, if you do have a suboptimal thyroid, then do dig a little bit deeper. Have a look at your antibodies. Mm-hmm. Um, have a look at your iron status as well, because that can play a part in suboptimal thyroid function. And then also um, thinking about selenium would be the the only yeah. other one. Yeah, totally. Well, there's probably loads of other ones actually, but you know, the one that just kind of springs to mind as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Thyroid's one of those um, topics that you can just go through rabbit warrens really yeah uh, totally super interesting and of course the main reason for that is that this, they're so interconnected to all the other systems in the body as well yeah so it's not like just everything thyroid. yeah totally. yeah yeah nice and then finally karen is there a place in sustained weight loss for pea-based plant protein shakes um yeah i'm sure sh- i'm sure there is mm. um i mean you know we we talked about optimizing protein. Yeah. Um, and protein has a particularly important place in the world of weight loss because, yeah. of course, it gives you that satiety. Whether you get it from whey or pea or animal or plant, that doesn't really matter as long as you have optimized those amino acid um, combinations and as long as you are in calorie deficit so you can lose your weight, <laughs> yeah. um, then I'm sure there's a place. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Like... Uh, Stu Phillips and I had a discussion around plant protein versus animal protein and when those proteins are isolated the way that you find in plant protein powders that they can be equally as helpful for muscle protein synthesis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if you love your balanced plant protein yeah which we do which we do and they're going to contribute to your overall protein load Mm -hmm. for all of the benefits that protein provides yeah boom why wouldn't you yeah absolutely I agree lovely that's those questions done. I just love these types of questions, Karen, because they provide us with this little bit of a platform to not only answer questions, but they then kind of springs from it just other things that spring to mind. So people get a little bit of an insight into how you and I think. Which is very alike. We've yeah. always thought a very we've always been on the same page with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Yeah. We need to find something that we disagree on. 
Well, think about it, hey? There will be something. I'm just trying to think right right now. There is, I know there's something. There must be something. Yeah. We'll Karen, get back to you on we'll that We'll get one. back to you, yes. So now, where can people find you? For those people who might not already know. Right, so I'm... Um, I'm an old school girl. I'm on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Karen's a dietitian. Um, I'm not on Instagram, although my dog is Pepper Vizsla, if you like dogs. I love the pictures Hungarian of Vizsla. Yeah, she loves being on Instagram. Yeah. But I'm not on Instagram, but I'm, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, Karen Zinn. And, um, of course, good old-fashioned email. Awesome. Lovely, Karen. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It was fun. And we will definitely do this again. I look forward to it. And look, Karen is super easy to find over on Facebook at Karen Zinn Nutrition. So reach out to her if you've got any questions or you want to book a consultation with her. She is easily available. And next week on the podcast, I was lucky enough to sit down with Professor Julia Rutledge. Now, Professor Rutledge is at Canterbury University here in New Zealand and she has spent the last 20 years focusing on nutrients for mental health so Julia Julia and I do a deep dive into that in addition to talking about her book The Better Brain which I cannot recommend enough so we talk about a lot of things which some people might find a little bit controversial on the uh, mental health front but Julia is such a wealth of information and um, I really recommend that you check out her book and also look forward to this conversation until then team you can find me over on twitter and instagram at mickey willardin over on facebook at mickey willardin nutrition and of course on my website mickey all righty have a great week see you later